0: Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLe The world's longest running motor-
1: Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport, I'm John Hindoff. Uh, this is Series 13, Episode 31, it's just after 8 o'clock in the UK, so good evening to you if you are there. However, where I am right now, it's the middle of the afternoon because I'm getting ready for IMSA this weekend at VIR, Virginia International Raceway. Uh, Well, I'll be joined later on this week by Jeremy Shaw and Shea Adam. Uh, Shea Adam will be popping up in the programme later on. Main time up and over in London. It is uh, executive producer Tim Gray, who I'm about to say good evening to. Hello, Tim.
2: Good evening, John.
1: And on a packed programme tonight, we have... We
2: have all the usual features. Uh, and we will, as you mentioned, be joined by Shay. We'll be joined by well, Nick. Well, we say
1: that. Damon. It is the vagaries of, of Canadian internet again. She's got the moose she's on the treadmill. She's gone back to Canada. Yes, she's gone back for the last couple of weeks of the cottage season. Uh, be careful how you say that. Um, and uh, so the vagaries of the moose on the treadmill. Um, who knows? We may get Shay. Uh, later on in the programme she would
2: have done a show tomorrow then she would have been wicked uh, yes but then
1: it would have been it wouldn't have been midweek, mid-week motorsport bro. it would have been Thursday motorsport slightly just beyond the Mick midweek
2: Nick Damon regardless will be joining us from whichever hole he's in
0: oh stop
2: Johnny Palmer oh ok might be joining us ok I want to ask him about what he did last weekend oh, and yes. what he's going to be doing this weekend I know what he did
1: last weekend
2: yes he sent a lot of photos of it to his social media oh did he yeah,
1: good. Good, good. And uh, Tweed plays, at containment and Tim will bring it up to date with those at the moment. I'm struggling a little bit with uh, my internet connectivity here, so I apologise if I don't get straight back to you. Where would you uh, where would you like to start? Oh, oh, by the way, I have to start off the show by saying thank you very much to the Orkin family, and Alexander in particular, he popped down with his uh, mobile uh, Mobile One Porsche Radio Le Mans Prize uh, at the weekend just gone, and uh, spent an absolutely fabulous uh, part of the afternoon on Sunday with the family Orkin and uh, Sally's drizzle cake is absolutely outstanding, and uh, we now have a proud new owner of Richard Leiter's Porsche race suit, which was one of our Mobile One Radio Le Mans prizes. And if you did see the pictures earlier on in the week i am sure they will still be around on aspect of sorry tim go ahead
2: Where was did that you did? get a, uh, a Vita performance afternoon
1: no didn't but i i i i am expecting something on social media whilst he's wearing the suit because it will fit in fact i know it does fit him it does fit the only problem is both phoebe and freya his daughters are were both eyeing it up to say that I think they wanted to get uh, their hands on us. Uh, Phoebe's class quote of the, the afternoon was Well, there's the Halloween costume sorted out for this year. <laughs> oh, uh,
2: anyway, where would you like to go first this evening? Well, first, I'd like to say uh, just to prove that we're live, Yep. Uh, think it's still nil nil. Right. And Excellent. I'm going to take a new jingle.
0: All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. So,
1: shuffle the papers. What's the top story tonight, Tim?
2: Our top story tonight uh, has two wheels. Right. So, our two wheel correspondent joins us now. Hello to Nick,
1: Tim. Haroo? Haroo. Harree. Hurrah. Hurrah. <laughs> right. Do you, do you, are you slightly different from when you've only got two wheels as opposed to four?
2: Why,
3: well, it'd be half a. I wasn't half as excited. Half, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I, I don't want to impinge on my own copyright. Okay, fine. And, you know,
2: <laughs> MotoGP went to Austria.
3: The Easter Race Ring, or the obviously the Red Bull Ring as it is now.
2: Does everybody have
3: to call it the Red
2: Bull Ring?
1: I, I noticed that most people do in four wheel sport. I noticed a distinct lack of anybody other than the Red Bull sponsored teams calling it the Red Bull Ring. Many of them were calling it the Circuit
3: at Spielberg at the weekend, Nick. I assume they had a different energy drink sponsor, so like Yamaha aren't <sighs> going to put the red bull with monster written all over them, are they? Good point. I um, thought of that. Yes. They should do actually. It's a little bit. It is churlish not to because it's not. That's not naming rights. That's what it's called. You know, it's not like um, it's not like Mazda Laguna race race Laguna Seca, which was Laguna Seca. Well, it, this well, is it, now the A1. Of course, it's, it's it's not anymore. It's WeatherTech now. Yeah. Yes, there you go. But. Um, but it's um, but the fact is that it is it's actually what it's called. It's not a naming sponsorship deal. Right.
2: And next year.
3: It's like saying. It's, it's like saying, well, we're enjoying being England in that airfield circuit, you know. <laughs>
2: right. Next year, uh, even Austrian television uh, will have to call it the Red Bull Ring.
1: And why have they not been doing it so far? Well, too? they
2: may have been, but uh, the TV contract for MotoGP uh, for Austria and Germany. Uh, from 2019, is going to Service TV. And who owns Service TV?
3: Dieter Macheschitz of Red Bull. Wasn't he going to shut Service TV down a year ago? Wasn't Uh, that the big thing? He was shutting Service down and everyone was going to get maybe unemployed because they weren't weren't, literally... The the whole of Austria was not bowing to his beck and call.
2: How things change.
3: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Austria is (laughs) bowing to his beck and call.
1: Very good, very good. Uh, Where do you want to go? Uh, with this then uh, Tim I mean what have well, you got I, first I wasn't able
2: to watch it so All right.
3: oh it's good you missed a good one um, it was a, it was a, it, was a it, it, it was a
2: turnaround it was a turnaround I'll tell you why it, it was a, a wet one wasn't it no no
1: no. it oh, was wet early practice. in the weekend practices were very very wet indeed and we had some wonderful images of bike surfing literally. so as, as a
2: friend of mine uh, mentioned to me on Saturday I'm glad I went to Bruneau yes
1: yes <laughs> okay, but it, it, it was a very, very good race.
3: It was nice race
1: day. It was beautiful on race day. Uh, temperatures um, about as forecast, possibly uh, a little bit warmer, but we didn't have any of the tyre shenanigans. There was, um, in, in fact, it, uh, the front row, was the front row all Ducati? No, three out of the four. I you
3: had... To... They had had uh, Marquez.
1: Yeah. Know. Three out of the first four were Ducati and they were all running on different uh, tyres, different combinations of the tyres. Um, well, I, I hate seeing
3: them sharing tyres.
1: Yes, well, indeed. You know what I mean. <laughs> um, I, it was, It was funny to me because the characteristics of Ducati and Honda seem to have swapped around um, because... Uh, Honda was punching out of the corners and getting down the straights quickly, and Ducati was getting in and through the corners quickly, but didn't necessarily have the top end, and it made for a really, really interesting. I'd forgotten what a great motorcycle circuit the Red Bull Ring is.
3: Well, it is, unless you're riding a uh, Yamaha,
1: or Suzuki. You mean,
3: think it's the worst circuit ever? Um, as Yamaha now extend their losing streak to 22 races, and um, they started the race from 12th and 14th. Uh, Valet started in 14th and vignard in 12th. And, and it was like the bike was just, everything that was wrong with it is getting wronger. They are going further away all the time. But at the front, yeah, Ducati... Um, well, hang it's on, it's no, a,
1: no, no, another... but no, no. You've brought up Yamaha. That was on my list of things to talk about. But as you brought it up, okay. the extraordinary situation of a manufacturer Within one of the weekend's press conferences, effectively, well not effectively, actually apologising to its teams and riders for how bad this year's bike
3: is. Yeah, you, know, you kind of wonder how it's gone so wrong from the beginning of last season when they won two races back to back with Vinales. Now, they, 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 after think Rossi won, I think Assen was Asen last year. I think it wasn't. Anyway. Um, they've not won since, or, or really, you know, looked particularly like it. Unless something, anyway. it's just a str- it's not like a short of money or anything. It's not like a short development. They just they seem to have got themselves completely lost. Um, and even though Rossi managed to put it back to sixth in the end from 14th, obviously it's still a massive points loss. He's still just about hanging on in second, but it's all part of the no one wants to win it so Marquez doesn't have to win the races. Um, and, and so, bit that we had a, a monumental scrap between next year's teammates uh, at Honda, um, Marquez and Jorge Lorenzo. And Lorenzo won his third race of the year. And I think he's, you yeah, know, and uh, still, I think him to fourth or fifth overall in the championship. Um, and. It was, it, was, it was a, good, it was a good, good battle over the last two or three laps. I mean, apparently, this is the only circuit on the modern um, calendar that Marquez hasn't won at. And he still hasn't won it because he came second. Uh,
1: the, as I said, the Ducati was great. Lorenzo was... Lorenzo was great. He's now only 12 points behind second place. Rossi. Rossi is at nine fifty-nine points behind Marc Marquez. Well, I mean-
3: Rossi is an example of experience and um, common sense, uh, just scoring points. Yeah. Whereas everyone else is, apart from Marquez, has been, has, has elements of, of, of downtime. I mean, you know, we had uh, diverso in, in a sort of a patch in the middle of the season, um, Lorenzo didn't get the speed at the start, and they give him enough enough to get away where he doesn't need to even need to win races anymore. He he even said to himself his whole tactics was to try and make sure only one Ducati was ahead of him rather than two. This is Marquez, which he achieved. So he's already you know tactically um, winning the championship without having to push himself. And
1: Davizzi also, by the way, in fourth place is just one point further back from Lorenzo. Tim uh, wants to. What's a Yamaha
2: borrowing to try and fix their problems? A Honda,
3: Honda? (laughs) Uh, a Ducati. (laughs) Um, a wheelbarrow, uh, a unicycle would have been better
2: at the weekend. Huh? A guru, a guru Suzuki. Oh, is,
3: it ele- is it electronics guru? Is it?
2: Uh, yes, Michele Gadda. Where
3: are they borrowing him from?
2: Uh, from the Yamaha World Superbike team.
3: Well, they have improved a bit the World Superbike team, but they're hardly the, the, the well the second best team,
2: other than the third best team
3: now. No, mm. no I mean, it's, it, it is a a dramatic fall from grace and um you kind of think what they should probably be doing is dumping that thing in the bin starting from scratch with something new
2: what did uh uh, what did scott redding think of his bike
3: he thought it was the best april in the world or he may have said it was absolute rubbish and a word we can't say on the radio
2: that's Mm -hmm. right a piece of that whether we can't see on the right say on the radio at at least Mm Yeah, so, I
3: mean, he's, not, he's obviously not had a very happy time there, and um, much like Bradley Smith, it's very likely he will. He, he'll be dropping out of MotoGP, and so we'll just have uh, Cal next year, if you're a British fan. Um, whereas Bradley Smith, of course, has said he's happy to retire, he doesn't get a run. I think uh, Redding is casting around, potentially going back to GP2, or possibly going over to Superbikes.
2: I remember um, meeting Bradley Smith when he first did Moto3, and he was only 15. Mm-hmm. I think that wasn't very long now. ago.
3: No, he's, 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 yeah, he's so not remember, that old now.
2: He's 28, I think. We were doing it on this show.
3: Really? I don't think he's 28. He might be. I mean, I mean, time does sadly fly, but I thought he was 25, 26, but yes, but he, he might to be people, right. He's prepared to retire anyway, he said.
2: It, it was a very early Rather season chafed. of this show. So he could be longer. as much as 28. <laughs> Who were are talking about? Bradley Smith. Bradley Bradley Smith. Smith
1: yeah. Right, hang on. Uh, Man on see. computer. Yeah, not finding him. <laughs> uh, Smith. Smith. he was born oh, he was born the 28th of November 1990
3: so he's 27 thank
1: you very much indeed I don't know where I plucked so that from he was
3: an early season and he was 15 mm.
1: he was definitely 15 <laughs> season one.
3: so he'd yeah, be 24, one. 28 it'd be November yeah he'd
1: be 28 in November It's
3: the problem you see when the show's been going on this long all those little karting stars you interviewed in the first series have retired
1: I know <laughs> I know, it is very very st- very very sad and i feel very very one of them bored. became a father at the week
2: or yeah. l- end of last week let's not even go there
1: um, <laughs> l- let's uh, we were desperate to try and get uh, Bautista a drive last week uh, a ride last week that hasn't happened either
3: no no it, no. it, it appears know, I'm not quite sure why I think just because I think if you troll around for five years doing it and then you put a few good races in just when you've lost your job you kind of go nah, not sure about your motivation mate So as far... I know it's Declan's favourite so as far as 2019 is
1: concerned I reckon the only two places that are still available are Crutchlow's uh, Crutchlow's right. teammate at LCR Honda mm-hmm. and Simeon right. are his teammate at Aventia Ducati. But I reckon everybody else is full now, aren't
3: they? I think, a, yeah, because we had the satellite um, Yamaha. Um, well, we knew Morbidelli was on it, and he's and, and oh, God. Oh, oh.
1: Quantararo. Quant-
3: Thank you very much. Thank you. That's There's far too many combinations. Oh, There's too many Rs.
1: Quantararo.
3: This going, be Quantala Mara. I'm sure Tim will get a Ducati. Quantararo. I think Tim will get a hotkey for him.
2: Yeah. Possibly.
1: Yes, uh, I mean, uh, as far as I mean, I'm not even looking as far as, as next year. Um, Mark is is still cruising. Rossi is he going to hold on to second place? That'll be the question for me. And it will, no. will it be either like Lorenzo David. or Dovizio uh, Has uh, Davidiozo who gets by him? Um, and then what happens is is Rossi done at the end of this year? Remind me, Nick.
3: Then he signed that two-year contract. Of
1: course he did. Of course he did. Right. Okay. Uh uh Moto, did you see any of the Mortal Two, Nick? No, I didn't see the Mortal Two. great battle between um Lorenzo Baldessari and Francesco Bagnaya, who um uh, were uh, sorry, Fran- uh, Bagnaya and Oliveira, um who were battling at the top of the championships as well. Bagnaya won by a couple of tenths um on a another last lap sort of run around That's the sky racing team VR 46, Calyx, that he was on uh, KTM for Miguel Oliveira for Red Bull KTM Ayo. Um, and bagnaya goes back to the top of the championship after that by, I think, three points. I've got that in front of me. Uh, it was Marco Bezechi on the Redox Ox Prostel, uh, Prostel GP KTM who won in Mortal 3 which I didn't see from the Astral Galicia uh Rider Aaron Kane and Darren Binder, South African younger brother of, uh, on the Red Bull KTM, who was third across the line. Am I talking rubbish? No, I'm talking absolute rubbish. It was badistani Badis- uh, and then Jorge Martin. That was qualified, I was looking at there. I thought that was wrong, even when I was seeing it. But it was Beze- Bezecchi who won the race uh, on the uh, 25
2: bike. You're going to have a new team in Moto2 next season. Really? Yes. That will be Angel Nieto, whose team in Moto 3 will be uh, progressing up the ranks, still with KTM. Right. Uh, They won the Moto 2 race at the MON this year. Yes.
3: Yes. Moto 2? Yes. Yes. But it's the one make
1: Uh, Triumph Engine. Oh, it's Chassis. Sorry.
3: It's Triumph Engine next year, aren't they?
1: Correct. Um, It's Calex, KTM, Speed Up suitor, NTS, they're all the this. chassis.
3: I didn't realise, sorry, I'm, I'm obviously way out of the Moto2 loop, I didn't realise at KTM, I thought you, I didn't know the real bikes could, bike manufacturers could actually have a chassis, I thought it had to be specialist manufacturers, but
2: the rules get changed. I think Frequently. That, yes, indeed. Indeed. It's done to confuse us.
3: Mm. Well, it's, 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 it's done to make money somewhere, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> uh, next up, uh, end of
1: August, uh, end of the month, uh, and it's the GoPro British Grand Prix.
3: Two weeks, isn't it? Yeah, two weeks. Well, oh, it isn't a monthly right. so they'll be they'll, they'll be up against. That's Grand Prix about that week, aren't they? Yes, exactly. They far so. at the same time, so I assume it be a late a late start. Things they're trying to avoid starting both at the same time when they're both in Europe, which is quite rare these days. I think the uh, F one calendar's got so congested now that even its best attempt, because you, you can't avoid being in Europe on the same weekend as much as it wants to.
2: It's nine races in Spain probably prevent... <laughs> that's true. A large that is a
3: problem. Don't forget the 11 11 races in Portugal, the 14 races in Andorra and uh, Gibraltar as well.
1: (laughs) Staying with two wheels, uh, some sad news that has come through uh, to us from the weekend. Um, Veteran French road racer Fabrice Migo uh, died uh, earlier this week, Monday, uh, following a crash on Saturday at the Ulster Grand Prix. Uh, fought from Normandy, regular competitor at the Ulster, and Isle of Man TT, 49-year-old, uh, who died due to the injuries he sustained on Saturday. Clark of the Course, Noel Johnson, said, I've known Fabrice or Meek as he's known to many for over 20 years, even before I was Clark of the Course, been racing at Dundrod for a long time, a big character, and became a part of the fabric of the event. Uh, our thoughts are with uh, Fabrice's parents, his OptiMark team, and, of course, the wider circle of friends, family uh, and the paddock. Another uh, sad piece of news to report here on Midweek Motorsport, which is where you are at the moment. I'm John Hindhoff, and looking forward to a weekend. Uh, any, more for, any more for Nick? Uh,
2: yes, because right. we can uh, move from two wheels to... Formula One? Four wheels.
1: Four wheels. If it's rallying, he's not going to say yay. Or oh, is it Formula <laughs> One? Please, because there is there is some Formula there One.
2: Some Formula One news. We that's tied up with Moto GP. Have you seen that? Well, yeah. Actually, now that you mention that, wouldn't that be the logical way to transition into Formula One news rather than doing the stories I was going to do first? So
1: yes. So Formula. <laughs> so for, that was a very convoluted way of just saying yes, Tim. Um, so Formula One news, Nick. <laughs> Got to the feeder a little bit uh, tardy there, I'm afraid. And... we we'll fix that in post. <laughs> if only life was as simple as that. Uh, let's uh, Right. Who thinks GP people are more approachable than those that are in Formula One,
3: Nick? It's big friend of ours, the man who always gave the interview when you asked, Ross Braun.
1: That's very oh, I... true. But how did he back that up? after he'd said that.
3: Right, not giving any interviews. And that was excellent, wasn't it? Do you think he did that on purpose? Something else he hasn't done. He hasn't given any of his image rights either, because the picture they've used in the MotoGP website, he's wearing his Braun GP gear from 2009. It's absolutely
1: (laughs) fantastic. So he comes out with this pronouncement about it, and then doesn't make himself available to talk
3: about it. Absolutely outstanding.
1: Mm, Do you think
3: you did you... it on purpose and it was just a I'm bit of not fun? sure if F1 does hire any well, to be honest. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yes. Uh, I don't know. I don't work in the uh, MotoGP paddock. I've heard some people saying that in the uh, the top list. Left... I mean, obviously, I think GP2 and GP3 are pretty good, but I've heard some people say at the top level of uh, GP they can be just as awkward as, uh, as any top level can be.
2: In, in fairness, let, he let was... Let me think about who on the uh, Moto. GP paddock has ever spoken to me and who in the Formula 1 paddock has ever spoken to me and there's far more in the Formula 1 paddock well that's because you work in Formula 1 on four wheels you work sport
3: in yeah, yeah. Oddly, oddly it's the same for me Tim can't think why
2: mm.
1: uh, in fairness he didn't just come out of this out of the blue Nick he was actually at the Austrian Grand Prix
3: at the weekend as a guest that's of Alma Prama 100% of the MotoGP riders I've asked for an interview give me an interview mm. which is Loris Caparossi. um <laughs> Very good. good. Hey, start with a good one. Well, Nick, you
1: know you and I have done stuff on bikes before, and yeah. bike people tend to be very, very approachable. Um,
3: I, yeah, I mean, I, I again, I think, I think if you if you move away from F one, most motorsport people are approachable. That's a very true I think the problem true. of Moto GP is, um, you know, you you only have to look at the pit walks they do on BT Sport and see whom whom they do not talk to on
1: ah, their grid. Ah, that's a good point. So,
3: work out what's going on and the reason they don't talk to those people is the same reason that you didn't talk to michael schumacher that often because they're just too busy or other things to do but the approachability is tends to be inversely um related to how successful you are and how busy you are there are a few people who are awkward bees and i've made my feelings known about some of the awkward bees in the in the f1 paddock and you know and and, you know on the whole you know most just because they're just too busy or the worst thing of all, they're being over, they're being overprotected by their PR. Yeah, that' a real annoying. And I, I to look on this year, of course. I, I
1: think uh, th- there are some things that Formula One could learn, and we've talked about them on Midweek Motorsport before. Hundreds, thousands uh, of things. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, from MotoGP in particular. You know, um, Moto Moto Three, Moto Two, MotoGP, dead easy progression. Uh, they're working towards that, no doubt about it. They regulations about the technical side of things they're relatively sensible um ross brome was talking about the aero rules and things like that and how interesting they were um whether you could backwards yeah, engineer that, that into that, formula one i'm not sure
3: Yeah, when when effectively it's only the last three or four years that motor gp has really moved away from basic streamlining into advanced advanced aerodynamics and so just saying stop it now is yes. a significantly easier concept than trying to reverse engineer what is this year is it 50 years since the gold leaf lotus which had the wing on it is it 50 years of aero in f1 now
1: I must I at least yes, I think, yes.
3: It's 60, I think it was 68 the first the first week that yes might be, that's what, right
1: 67 30. was the last year of the of the you know sort of tubular looking cars
3: I think it was sixty-eight. It was the first vestigial era. Obviously, it was before that with chaparrals and other in other disciplines. But but you know, so you, it's it's very very different different, and it's very and also let's be honest about this. The gains from aero on a car are, are a factor of ten more important than the gains of aero on a bike. Yeah, yeah. But um, so yes, I mean he obviously likes. What I think what, what Ross likes is that when Dorna says you're going to do something, they go, oh, all right then, um, <laughs> because that isn't the same with limited Media. I mean, they they do kick and scream. I mean, Honda Honda pushed very hard against the electronics, didn't they? The control electronics and threatened to throw toys out the pram, yes. and they won themselves an extra year, didn't they? Yeah. Um, when they, they they said, well, it, daughter said, okay, well, you can keep your own electronics, but what we're going to do is a team to take the control electronics. They get a softer tire and more testing. Yeah. Um. So it was like a there was a carrot and stick situation there. So that was a bit more intelligent. Um. But when you've got and also the thing you have to remember is that most GPs are very successful series, but still is what do you reckon an, an eighth of the f1's audience a tenth and well it's a tenth of money so it's easier to push to turn that tanker around than the bm that's f1 i mean in terms of people going to the track the amount of oh, people well, no, that go no, to no, the
1: track sure. is outstanding for i, would, I, would think,
3: that, I would think you guys, if you had an average attendance at motor gp and average at f1 i'm pretty sure most of gp would be there or thereabouts, if not better. It's it's weird. There's only a couple of the
1: races, isn't there, that get nobody. The Middle East races don't get very many people there. They get some people there for motor cheap people, not lots,
3: but everywhere else. And obviously, when, when well, again, it's, it's 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 the same one hundred and twelve thousand Spaniards turning up to fourteen races.
2: <laughs> Could be right.
3: Uh, quick question, I, I'm
1: not Tim, have you got a bit more for for, for Nick on this? Because I I'll...
2: have uh, not on this, but I do have two right. more Formula One stories.
1: Right, before we go back to Formula One, I, I just want to finish up. I, I mentioned Silverstone, um, the GoPro British Grand Prix for bikes. Next, what year? Don't look this up, Nick. What year did Silverstone hold its first? British Motorcycle Grand Prix. And why was it significant?
3: Oh, well, It's a great quiz question, this. That must be... Oh, it was a long time ago, because the 70s ones, with Barry Sheen and Kenny Roberts, were in. Were at... Uh, Come on, six, stop, yeah. you, stop, stop giving yourself time to Google. Uh, let me say, like, 72. 77?
1: I was going to say 77. But why, why was it significant that it was at Silverstone?
3: I'm going to guess that it was because because Donington wasn't finished. No,
1: it was the first time the British Motorcycle Grand Prix in 1977 had ever been held on the British mainland. It had always been, uh, the British Round of the World Championship (laughs) had always been since 1949 on the
3: Isle of Man TT circuit. That is good trivia. That is excellent trivia.
1: 1988 to 2009, it was at Donington. Mm. And it went back to Silverstone in 2010 as the circuit of Wales, obviously.
3: That is, um, that's that good is, trivia, that, isn't it? Was
2: great trivia. I've blown well, the that Cer- now. Cer- Cer- of Wales' uh, contract is coming to an end now. So yeah,
1: absolutely. Let's get back to uh, Formula One. You listen to midweek motorsport. Uh, John off getting ready for Imza, VIR Virginia International Raceway uh, this weekend, and then we'll have Shea uh, standing by uh, for the preview in a few moments' time. After Nick. Uh, uh, Nick Damon, who... Actually, we didn't didn't work out why, where Nick Damon was.
3: Tim's up in London, obviously. Are we allowed to say where you are this week? No? I'm I, What I'm doing is I'm driving around making sure the factories really are shut.
1: Right. Ah, yes, for Formula One. Uh, yeah. So form, Formula One asks... Formula One factories are supposed to be shut. Nobody's supposed to be doing emails. Uh, No, not
3: at all. Computers all turned off. Ross
1: (laughs) Braun's actually broken the embargo by mentioning the word Formula One when he spoke. Well, he's wearing a 10-year-old shirt, so it's probably okay. All right, okay. (laughs) What have you got
2: for (laughs) He looks so much younger as well. He does. (laughs) He should wear that shirt more. Uh,
3: Takes
2: years from him. Who says we're all doomed? That
1: Um... bloke in Dad's Army. Private Fraser.
3: Oh, well done. Well done.
1: Yeah that uh, came from the
3: back which it did crazy.
1: didn't it it did it's
3: great I don't know apart from Private Fraser now all I, all I get is we're doomed we're
2: doomed Private Fraser is Sergei Sorokin
3: oh what well, we're all doomed or just I'm doomed to a dreadful season with the awful Williams
2: he thinks Team awful with the whole of Williams are well, all doomed is he staying
1: I'm, st- I'm, I'm still seeing this Til, till the end of the year I think Right, so he's what talking about he, this I year, he's not even...
3: Think, I don't think he got his €15 million Euros worth, you?
1: We, he's not even talking about next year, he's talking about the rest of this year, is he?
2: Yes. Oh my goodness. He thinks there's now no hope of them overtaking Sauber. No, I don't there think is, there's no. any hope of them
1: overtaking a paddock bike, actually, at the moment.
3: No, it's it, well. if they've got any sense, I'll just give this one up and just try and work out what's wrong. And then try. Then spend a bit of time trying to work out where the money's coming from.
1: That's their biggest problem, and you know, now they've lost the stroll of money. Then you know, sirokin does he stay? Does he go? If Sirokkin goes, they're in big trouble.
3: Um, no, no okay. Claire Williams says they more, have a plan. More, yeah, they'll, they'll find more renter drivers. There are plenty. Of, they, there are plenty of renter drivers they can find who've got fifty to twenty million and, and come from an area where they'll they'll dig up a bit of. Uh, a super license somehow but you know they're not going to get anybody good
1: yes the problem is if they haven't got the money committed early if they i I, I take your point nick that they should be thinking about next year now but they can't think about next year because they don't have any money committed for next year and they're struggling they're already struggling this year all right so what you're saying is don't divert I any of this year's very, money.
3: Very, I thought it was very, very interesting that at the test, after the Hungarian Grand Prix, there were only two teams who brought um, evaluation wings to next year's standards. One was Williams, one was Force India. Yeah. So both two of the most cash-strapped teams had decided we're going to get a, try and get some sort of advantage by getting a jump on next year's regulations. So... so
1: so you think then what they sh- they should be doing at Williams team awful Williams um, uh-huh. will is basically forget about this year's development and divert any monies that they've got left into development next year's car the problem with that is that one of the drivers is there this year and isn't there next year and isn't going well, to be overly happy is he
3: they only you know the, the the salvation i can see in the, in the in the in the in the far distant area is that mercedes have got drivers to place and so nowhere to put them um, they want Ocon to go somewhere. He'll be the one losing his job at um, uh, Force India, and it looks like George Russell is doing a pretty damn fine job in F2. And they want, uh, so, they never they might end up with the, as the uh, even though they pushed against it so hard, they might end up the, as the de facto Mercedes B team. They may have no choice. Oh, I'm at the back. Mm.
1: Yeah. Mm. Okay. Uh, another story on F1 uh, for Nick Tip.
2: Uh, which former F1 driver is planning to be in Paris in the summer of 2024? What's 2024? That's the Olympics, isn't Olympic. it?
3: Oh, somebody says, is it Felipe Massa because he thinks karting is going to be an Olympic sport? Uh,
2: what sort of karting? Electric karting. Electric karting is the
1: correct answer. Oh, Hand off steals it at the last moment.
3: Well, yes, yes. They had done, it, of course, electric karting at Bercy years ago, didn't they?
2: Yeah. Yes, but that was not part of the Olympics. No, no.
3: Well, obviously not, no, but it was France and Paris and electric cars, because so I had most of the parts and Massa was there. I went to see Fleetwood so Mac at Bercy. Pardon?
2: I said I went to see Fleetwood Mac at Bercy. Alright.
4: It's
2: a nice stadium, <laughs> arena, building, big, yes. omnisports centre, and music and cultural centre. Yep. Uh, the Youth Olympics take place in Buenos Aires this year, and there will be a demonstration of electric casting there. Mm.
3: I don't really see. Uh, um, I mean, it's quite a nice idea, and you know, they can make all the carts even. That's 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 fine, but they're going to. That's going to be the key. Well, the you'll nature.
1: just draw them won't you? you'll draw lots for them. You won't have to be able to have your own.
3: Mm. Theoretically, with an electric car, if you if you are not stressing it to one hundred percent, so you get so you over motor it. And then put a, um, you know, a, 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 a voltage and capacity, a, a wattage throttle on there, you should get pretty even performance. But then again, you've got the issue about weight. Um, because that they are really overpowered, the weight will become a big thing and it'll just be won by the jockeys.
2: Massa is concerned by the weight of electric carts at the moment and thinks that uh, over the next six years they need to reduce the weight.
3: Well, the thing is, the heavier they are, the less the percentage of the driver. So actually, that's not necessarily the best way of doing it. And even if they say things like, well, no, we'll, we'll balance them up, it's never the same, because That's the weight the ballast weight is, is very low COG, and the, the weight of an actual person is higher. So it's a very difficult thing to do. It is, I it came up with show no
2: jumping, though, is it?
3: No, because you breed your own horse for that one. No no one thinks it's even. They should give the medals to the horses as well. Um, I came up with an
1: idea to um, balance of performance carts um, by having the seat back... As some, that's where you put in. You could fill it up with water to put the ballast, basically where the driver was at the same right. height of the of the driver. Or I suppose you could put lead pellets or something in there as well if it was a huge amount. lead,
3: lead's not ecologically sound anymore.
1: All right, some unobtainium <laughs> that's four times the weight of and density that's much of, Yeah, okay. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: Um, but I, I just thought that's it was an easy idea. thing. You know, when you turn up for these arrive and drive karting things and you look at some little 40 kilo kid and you know and we turn up as normal adults at 100 kilos <laughs> I know it's not going to make a huge difference but you could you know you could throw water into the back of the seat and then it, it's also easy to take out as well water over the kid
2: <laughs> and the kid yes exactly uh, exactly presumably uh, for the proper Olympics in 2024 they'd want adults not kids well, who says? Well,
3: there's been a major at 16. They have a separate
2: 16. Youth Olympics, don't they? And uh, as Nick says, there was an age limit in the Olympics. Is there? Yeah. How old Maybe. was... How 16 old was... now.
1: Oh, is it, was, it? it?
3: It was a lot younger. So with the Navratilovas and everyone else at 14. But that's, I don't think that's... Obvious. The who? I don't think it to be 16. I... Navratilova, not 11. Nadia Komenech, sorry.
1: Yes, yeah. very good. Kominich,
3: European woman, sorry.
2: Yes, yes. <laughs> Very good. I,
3: I watched a documentary about. She was fourteen, um, though. 14 wasn't she? About
2: two weeks ago. Pardon. Was Nadia fourteen when she? Yeah, she
3: was fourteen yeah. Uh
2: Moving, well, I,
1: I, I'm not sure about motorsport being part of the Olympics. Um, uh, it's,
3: uh, I don't think so. I mean, I, whilst I'd love to watch, you, I don't think it's part of the Olympics either. I really don't. I
1: know there's people who say, well, you have um, mechanical things in. Uh, such disciplines as sailing, but okay, you're still being I driven mean. along by the wind, and everybody has the same boat. But not everyone cases. has the same wind. Not everybody has the same wind, and that's it's part.
3: Of, but that's part of the tactics, isn't it? That's exactly. part of the skill.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Uh, horses, the equestrian events, as, as Nick Already says. Although in things like modern pentathlon, you draw for your I horse, know, don't you? And
3: that really does scupper some people, doesn't it? They mm. get a recalcitrant one.
1: Yeah, or a feisty one. Yes. <laughs> You want a kind of middle-of-the-road plodder, don't you? You don't want a feisty one, you d-
2: or, a, um, or a calcitrant one that doesn't just doesn't want to go at all. Last time I went horse riding, we drew lots, and I ended up with a yeah. horse called Macho. And was he? He didn't really listen to what I wanted to do. Mm. Mm. Yes. Some, sometimes like you, he was Tim,
3: when we F one story, he give us Formula
2: <laughs> 2000. <laughs> Some, sometimes he was quite sedate and stopped and eight bits of hedge, and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes he ran off ahead. Hmm. I what think I I think it's time to move <laughs> on. I really think it's time to move I was on. Clinging on to that horse. Can we uh, can we let Nick go now? Are we done with Nick? <laughs> I can't find any more Formula 1 stories right. or anything even vaguely connected to Formula 1. So I think we could just about say that unless Nick wants to talk about Rallycross...
3: No, I was happy with the one-horsepower stories, but we'll very leave it good.
1: on the... Very good. Very uh, good. Nick Dierman, thank you very much indeed for joining us and we'll talk to you next week, mate. Cheers. Uh,
3: see you, all, bye.
1: Nick Dierman joining us there on Midweek Motorsports Series 13, episode 31. Now... I think I might be able to get share, or we can do another story that has US connotations, Tim. Which way would you like to go? Would you like to do the US story, or would you like to go to shares previews? Which way would you like it to go? I'm, I'm putting Which that out to US you. Which
2: story are mm. you offering me?
1: I am offering you, and this is ironic, because I'm offering you a story that has links to VIR this weekend...
2: Oh, I see where you're going now,
1: mm. uh, but it happened last weekend. Yes, and
2: so what we're about to do mm. is play an interview that you recorded two days ago. Yes, with someone who, at the time, was where you are now, but Correct. is no longer where you are now, and is actually close to where I am now.
1: Uh, not sure whether he's left the state yet, but absolutely right. Shall we do that? Let's do that. Um, the person we're talking about is the CEO of Mission Motorsport, Jim Campbell. Uh, Jim Campbell, Jim Cameron, excuse me, uh, and he was, as Tim rightly says, where I am this weekend. But he was there last weekend when I spoke to him on Monday. Uh,
4: thanks very much, John. Yeah, always coming on feels a bit like coming home, doesn't it? We've uh, we've got quite a history. I'm at uh, PiR, where uh, where we've been over the course of the weekend for uh, for a 24-hour race. It was a uh, an incredibly special occasion for uh, Operation Motorsport, who, I mean, you remember back in the day uh, with some Mazda UK support, uh, we put a team of uh, serving soldiers behind the wheel of a, of a supported Mazda um, and I went and entered the Silverstone 24-hour race. And that, that was an incredibly formative experience that really helped us uh, Realised just the incredible good that it could do, and, and how sports could be used in order to inspire to turn people's lights back on again. And it was, it was such an, an incredible formative experience back in 2011. It helped shape what became Mission Motorsport, the forces Motorsport charity. A few years down the line, uh, it, it appears that we've inspired a, uh, an entire population across the across the Atlantic. And uh, Operation Motorsport were Tip and Diesel Lodder, who who. Work for for him. Diesel was a uh, Canadian, uh, highly decorated soldier, paratrooper throughout his career. Uh, came out as guests of your friend of mine, Greer Martin, uh, to Race of Remembrance in 2016. And we're just so inspired that, that they, they've done a huge amount of work behind the scenes in order to put together uh, what effectively is our, our North American counterpart. Uh, operation motorsport which launched on the 7th of july last year so they're they're just over over a year old and it just seems incredible seeing a car in operation motorsport livery in a 24-hour race run you know with the help of a team of beneficiaries uh, both u.s and canadian all different services uh, and felt very privileged to be a part of it running in a 24 hour race at VAR this weekend
1: Marked, what a track yes marked the return to competition of another friend of IMSA Radio and RSL uh, Staff Sergeant Liam Dwyer he's some bloke isn't he Liam
4: yeah he really is I mean, for, for those who who are unfamiliar uh, Liam um, was was blown up, lost his, his left leg uh, above the knee and, and that knee joint is critical to so many things, the uh, the banter amongst you know the sort of uh, our boys is is that those who have below knee amputations are just a scratch. You you've lost you've lost your ankle. It's it's no big deal. Um, I mean, of course, they're, they're absolutely massive, but the loss of a knee loses so much else in terms of control. And what you're left with is uh, is an interfacing between uh, limb, remaining limb, and uh, the prosthetic, which goes on, which which normally just relies on the suction of a cup that that limb slots into. And I know uh, a, a lot of our guys who, who have amputations, that, that can always be a... Uh, it's something that requires constant maintenance because they, uh, that clearly isn't the way that, uh, that we were designed to work. And, uh, and these things change over time. Medical science has moved on incredibly over the last few years. Well, One of the big jumps has been uh, a surgery called osseointegration, which basically puts a pin, a socket, uh, a metal, a titanium rod that goes in through the end of the socket and is, is integrated into the bone. So um, that osseointegration surgery, it's a serious, you know, it's a really big procedure. Um, and Liam pushed it to the right in order to finish the 2017 um, uh, season. Uh, he was operated on uh, at the end of October, so it would be after Petit, wasn't it? Um, but he had his operation. And then he's been completely uh, away from driving, hasn't been able to do, to do anything for a long period of time. Now, of course, you know, he's coming from, uh, from what effectively is a sprint, mini endurance format, and he chose his race in order to come back and demonstrate just how, uh, how well he's recovering. A 24-hour endurance race at VIR with all of the consummate problems of temperature, humidity, and just the sheer stress and duration of the 24-hour race. Um, uh, as his comeback race so that was that was pretty phenomenal kind of uh, kind of being part of that as well he's uh, he's quite an individual
1: you guys were pretty unlucky in the race leading eventually ended up second in class after a, a very bizarre failure that I've never heard of happening before on a uh, on a Mazda which took you out of the race but you'd done enough laps to uh, be classified well up in in the class I know that's not what the competitive side of everybody involved wanted but it's so much it it is always so much more than that when mission motorsport or operation motorsport go racing jim what's what numbers are we up to now in terms of the the servicemen uh, and women that you've helped in the uk Um, but more importantly you've helped quite a lot into meaningful proper paid employment no charity being asked for here this is people getting jobs on their merits
4: Completely, and from the very outset, we've been about using sport in order to achieve something which is greater and beyond that, and for all the reasons why sport is is uplifting and and can stimulate and excite people, um, it's been about taking guys and helping them in order to fundamentally be able to help themselves to be able to support their families to be able to uh, generate a a sense of meaning and self when it has been lost, and uh, and critically, you know, uh, to help them become full contributing, proud members of society, who who are able to sustain both themselves and their families, you know, going forward. And and for and for many, that that means employment. Yes. The motion thought is underpinned by that race retrain recover piece, and the race is that stimulating piece at the front end. And the retraining is all that journey that they go on. Some of it is proper professional certification. So you know, we, be, we became a city and guilds uh, training centre delivering uh, to sort of level three diploma. Uh, but the, the big bit is putting people into jobs. And as we sit at our six-year point for Mission Motorsport, we've managed to get over 130 wounded injured and sick wow. guys into employment. Uh, in the UK, the Department of Work and Pensions measure the success of their getting people their back-to-work schemes by looking six months on to see how many people of those are actually in jobs. And they manage that over a quarter of people who attend those courses end up in employment at the six-month point afterwards. And that's a low bar to measure yourself. So we looked at the two-year efficacy. How many people are in employment two years on after we've been placed them? And we're on over 84%. And this is a population of... Who face the greatest obstacles to subsequent employment, and and we're we're really proud of that. Uh, that's that's really exciting stuff. Um, on the back of it, though, you change the way that industry engages with veterans to make that easier, and we know we put more than a thousand veterans into employment since 2015, and that's um, that's something of which we're incredibly proud.
1: Jim, how how much of uh, of what? Mission Motorsport and subsequently Operation Motorsport will do for
4: these veterans.
1: How much of that is is a a mental rehabilitation as much as it is a physical rehabilitation?
4: Of course, you know, we we started this uh, chat and you're talking about osseointegration surgery for, for those who've lost limbs and a lot of people think about what we do in terms of that. The population of those who have been affected by their service is much greater and it's the yes. invisible rather than the visible actually which we spend most of our time dealing on. Um, the offhand comment that we make is that we, we, we never struggle to get a, an amputee up a flight of stairs. We never um, struggle with adapting a vehicle for a different mechanism of control for something else. It's just engineering. It's, it, it's that mental piece and helping people to work out where they can fit in within a civilian world is, is so important and to give them the confidence that, that they're, they're seen in the right way. I saw that this weekend in the pit lane here from Renee, this brilliant young woman who, who just is being uh, medically retired from the, from the U.S. Army. Uh, and she's fantastic. Watching her swell as she fills into this fantastic position, you know, sort of doing press and media for the team, uh, having the confidence to talk to all sorts of people who otherwise you would never have come across within her sort of her sphere of work, and and being emboldened by that is fantastic. But you're going to see because you're here this weekend, you're going to see two of those beneficiaries, one Canadian, uh, one uh, US Army guy, who are going to be working on teams this weekend here at VIR in IMSA, uh, supporting teams, and and that's a phenomenal thing. For them, it's it's incredible because they get to be part of something, these people are properly useful in their own right. They're not just there making up the numbers. This isn't just a charity piece. And we have seen time and time again, they use that as a springboard in order to give them confidence and step out into the workplace. And that's really exciting.
1: Six years down, incredibly, for the major part of of, of Mission Motorsport. It seems a lifetime ago in some respects that you and I sat together um, up at Stoneleigh and did that long interview. And then I came to see the new premises as they were then opened just outside of Oxford what what are the next short medium long-term aims for Mission Motorsport and presumably the opportunity for more offshoots like op Motorsport Operation Motorsport
4: there's some big pieces of work that we're really engaged in at the moment Um, uh, one of which will we'll see us going to a new a new headquarters not very far from where we are now uh, for all the reasons why that piece of Oxfordshire was, was in the right place. We're within commuting distance of the big recovery centre down at Tigworth. But we are, we're also within reach of motorsport. And actually, it was Bob Neville at RJN who saw us into our, our current premises. And that will, that will be really exciting. And it, it reflects sort of the, the work of the charity and the stuff that we're doing with, with both major manufacturers, both domestic and overseas. I can't thank... Mazda enough for their incredible support both back then, you know, 2011, 2012. Those Mark One MX-5s that, that 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 we're so famous for are still the backbone of the fleet of of what we do. They're endurance cars that have done just such incredible hard work. on. you know, you you and I shared one back in uh, with beneficiaries back in the day at yep. uh, a race of remembrance Those things continue to do amazing service, and of course now you're seeing things like the Global Cup cars come through. Which, uh, which is seriously cool.
5: That,
4: that kind of thing re- requires us not to be necessarily that sort of um, you know, the back of the least salubrious industrial estate in Oxfordshire. So uh, <laughs> we're now running programs which are front-end pieces, helping veterans to step into uh, roles in industry uh, in order to go into dealerships and retailers across the country for different people. Yeah. And that, that's, a really exciting, that's a really exciting piece of work to be involved in. Those numbers that I was reflecting on and the efficacy of keeping them there, the scheme that we run with Jaguar Land Rover in the UK has put 36 wounded injured and sick into employment. All bar one of them are still in employment now. And that scheme's been running since the first Invictus Games back in 2014. That kind of thing can translate across to a broader sweep of industry. And where we've been incremental to date, before the end of the year, we're really excited to be launching something which will be going across the industry. I have more detail on that when it comes to it. consuming me at the moment. And, of course, Race of Remembrance just gets bigger and bigger. Yeah, absolutely. And this year is the 100th anniversary of the cessation of, of hostilities at the end of the First World War, uh, of the armistice. We're in the right time zone. We're in the right everything. That when we stop that 12-hour endurance race and we put the poppy car, because it's still going to be around at that time now, as safety car to bring everything together, to collect it in the pit lane, to bring in the marshals, the corner workers, the spectators, all of the teams then come together in that incredibly intense moment in the pit lane. Uh, when we stop at 11, that will be the 11th of the 11th, 100 years on since uh, since the end of the First World War, and that's going to be incredibly poignant. What we are working really hard to do is to make sure that our transatlantic cousins, you know, with whom we train and with whom we fight, it only makes sense that we're together in recovery, that they get to be alongside us again there. Um, and if we can get Liam across for that along with a team of the, with the Op motorsport guys and girls, then that that would be quite extraordinary. Um, and Radio Le Monde have been part of that story since since the very beginning of it. So um, excited to, to have a chat about that. and We work out how we mark that incredible occasion uh, and make sure that it's as special as we can be.
1: Jim, you do a fantastic work. I know it's you and the team. I know what it's like being the person that everybody looks to and listens to because you're the mouthpiece, and I say that in the nicest possible (laughs) way to you, but I know that you would say there's a big team behind you. Keep up the good work, and will you say hello to Representative Graham Martin for me, please, one of my favourite people on the planet, and I know he's been... Not exactly a silent partner, but he doesn't seek the limelight, and he's been a very important part of what's going on over there.
4: Yeah, absolutely fundamental, just as an enabler, and there in the background quietly working the way. No, he's uh, he's phenomenal. We owe we owe him a, a great debt of gratitude. And of course, John, thank you and the team back in the UK, much appreciated.
2: So that was Jim Cameron, who was talking earlier this week and last weekend was at VIR, That's correct? And now. We're joined by Johnny Palmer, who last weekend was at Brands Hatch for DTM. Good evening, Johnny. Hello,
6: Johnny. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. Yes, I was at Brands Hatch.
2: And uh, now I remember going to a DTM with you many, many years ago at Brands Hatch on the Indy circuit, which was uh, horribly dull. But this time they were on the Grand Prix circuit. So uh, how did that compare?
6: Yes, um... You know, it was a lot, lot better. Uh, For one, the drivers got far less dizzy than they might have done doing something like 98 laps around the Brandsach Indy circuit. And just allowing these cars that will happily do 150 mile an hour, 250 k's, allowing them to stretch their legs really did make the difference. Plus, they've got this DRS system, which allows them to utilize three bursts of DRS. Uh, at their will. There's no DRS zone as such, but uh, a lot of drivers were using it out of Surteeth, along that long, long straight that takes them down Pilgrim's Drop and into uh, Hawthorne's. The first race actually saw three cars abreast when Mike Rockefeller decided to, to overtake not only Timo Glock, but Jamie Green too. Quite How they all managed to get into and then out of Hawthorne Bend. I've watched that moment many, many times and still quite, can't quite work it out, but there was overtaking, there was strategy as well because uh, there's a mandatory pit stop for everyone, all 18 cars that they have to take, but there's no pit stop window, which is quite cool because some cars were taking it after only one lap of 40-odd and some were leaving it very, very late. And then it's all about how well or badly you treat uh, your tyres. So um, there was strategy involved and there was the ability to actually overtake. So it was rather interesting.
2: Uh... So, two races, this is the new format for DTM, one on Saturday and one on Sunday, each with their own separate qualifying session. Correct. Um, How did, well, let's say, how did the local drivers get on? Let's start with the most local of all, and that's Gary Paffett, the championship leader.
6: Yes, uh, born in Bromley, now lives in Suffolk. Um, He did rather well. Uh, He qualified... For the first race, a little down, I suppose you might say. Where was he? I've got, i still, believe it or not, got the sheets here so that I can research them perfectly. He stuck, He qualified in sixth, and although was threatening Philip Eng towards the end of the first race, just couldn't find a way past. So finished in sixth place. Doesn't that just back up my uh, evidence that there was overtaking? I promise there was <laughs> elsewhere. Um, but much, much better qualifying. On the Sunday, as there was for his Mercedes teammate Paul DeResta, who was just nowhere on Saturday, 16th place. I think he qualified, finished 15th, put it on the front row, and he was very cards close to his chest as to what the team had found, but claimed it was just one small bit of setup that uh, Paul DeResta's team had worked out that would be better on Sunday that they didn't do on Saturday, and all of a sudden qualified on the front row with Gary Paffett, tremendous battle between the two of them particularly at the start of the race when they were side by side all the way through paddock Hill, hillbend into druids and then down to graham Bend when finally it was sorted out in the favor of the scott but then we had a safety car and another new format for dtm in 2018 is that the restart isn't nose to tail single file it's what they call an indie restart so you've got the front row two cars two abreast the second row the same, the third row the same, and they bunched off. I mean, you could not have got a cigarette paper between them, front and back and side to side. And again, I thought, we're not going to get through Paddock here, 18 cars so closely uh, fighting. But they all got through, and Paul de Rester did it again. So he got the jump on Gary Puffett, who eventually, to be honest, was, was happy to settle for second place points because when you look at both races, he was able to extend his championship lead.
2: Afterwards, uh, Paffitt said that uh, he was kind to De Resta. Is is that your impression?
6: I I think he he was getting closer, and that was partly due to DRS. Every lap, if you are a second or less in touch with the car in front, you get these three blasts of DRS, and he certainly was making those work to his advantage, but being Mercedes, not quite teammates because they don't run from the same awning. There are three different Mercedes teams, and Axel rest his teammate, Daniel Junkadea, who took the win on Saturday. But they were never going to take each other off. Uh, Rene Rast was closing. That was the threat from third position. And Rast, in the best-placed best, Audi, best placed Audi, was putting Paffitt under pressure towards the end as well. So it kind of got to a point where all three, I think, were settling for the, the places they got. Audi really weren't at the races compared to BMW and Mercedes. So Rene Rast doing the best of a a bad situation you might argue and the Mercedes I mean you know two Brits first and second fantastic for points 25 points to Paul de Rester who that puts his championship back on track after a dreadful Saturday and we left Brands Hatch with two Brits at the top in in Mercedes final year
2: you mentioned Audi there uh, not having the greatest weekend but that's kind of been the story of them all season hasn't it
6: yes it has and um, they have just about the oldest engine on on the grid that needs the most development, and I think they have done some b- development work as far as the aerodynamics are concerned. But you know they are, uh, are looking to try and improve over the remi- remaining what is it four rounds now uh, with Misano, Nurburgring, uh, Spielberg, and the Hockenheimring still to come. <sighs> They're not going to do anything in the manufacturers' uh, championship. I think that's Mercedes now to throw away, particularly as there are in lots of uh, press areas, mm. there are reports that um, there's clear team rules now for Mercedes to follow to the end of the year, so they're going to be, in a sense, team racing, for want of a better word, so that they ensure the manufacturer's title before uh, they exit the championship, and, and Audi, yes, have struggled, I mean, Jamie Green just nowhere, when he was actually uh, getting better and better through 2017, and he would have wanted that season to continue, but I think Mercedes and BMW have made leaps and bounds, where Audi have sort of stayed still in the winter period, 17 into 18.
2: I think it's pretty much certain that uh, Mercedes will win the manufacturer's title now. They've got a 273-point lead over BMW. In fact, if you added BMW and Audi's points together, they've still got 70 points more than that. Um, You mentioned uh, Mizano's being the next race. Uh, This is a return to that circuit for the DTM. How are those cars going to suit that circuit?
6: Oh, it's, a not, it's a tight and twisty circuit, the Marco Simoncelli uh, venue, and the other twist is that DTM have never raced at night, but will be doing in Italy, because these races are going to start at 10.25, both on the Saturday and the Sunday nights. Uh, Alex Zanardi in for a, a guest weekend as well, and they're trying to sort out uh, the hand controls and how best to readjust the braking system as well for Alex Zanardi. So um, I think it's going to be a little similar to Brands Hatch because that's a, a twisty, uh, technical circuit in places. Albeit with the Grand Prix circuit utilised this year, they were able to, uh, you know, really put, use that right foot. But um, the cars are 30% less aerodynamic this year, and that's sort of been done to enable closer racing. They're less aerodynamically. Um, reliant so you can bunch up behind a competitor and not lose too much time also if there's a bit of contact which is almost actively encouraged these days it won't end a race potentially as long as it's not too heavy so um the fact that these cars are less aerodynamic i think they'll they'll suit the misano track pretty well uh, i'm just intrigued as to how they'll get on you know racing through till 11:30 at night i just hope those headlights are good
2: uh, and then after that 3 Rounds on uh, far more familiar territory, as you mentioned Nürburgring, uh, and then is it Red Bull Ring? Yep. And then uh, Hockenheim uh, for the season finale. Uh, now, normally supporting the DTM, you have uh, European Formula Three, but that was not at Brands Hatch um, because they are at Silverstone this weekend.
6: That's right. They are, and um, yeah, so it's it sort of one week off kilter, if you like, for the uh, FIA European Formula 3 Championship. Um, potentially their final year, of course, because Formula 3...
2: More than potentially, a- definitely their final year, because it's uh, turning into uh, an international series uh, next year, which will not be running, certainly with DTM.
6: No, it's going to go with Formula 1, is it not? So And uh, be relabeled... Um, well, no, it will be re-labelled Formula Three as opposed to formerly GP3. So yes, uh, an opportunity for drivers to step up from this current championship to become a world championship, effectively. But uh, the question is, what happens elsewhere in F3? There is a top-to-bottom uh, reshuffle set, I think, because uh, Gerhard Berger and others key- keen to get uh, Formula Three. Proper Formula 3 back in the UK. And uh, Jonathan Palmer's been given his instruction that if he wants to carry on his BRDC Formula 3 in quotation mark championship, he'll have to drop the F3 uh, logo. Um, So, yeah, um, it's going to be an interesting weekend. And please Silverstone is there. Uh, There's arguments as to which circuit drivers would have preferred. But um, it's nice that, you know, as part of the WEC and the ELMS weekend, we do get some Formula 3 action because we've had them in the past and they've often proven to be very entertaining races.
2: Uh, Johnny Palmer you'll be back with us in the second hour of tonight's show to talk about ELMS and uh, the FIAWC which happened this weekend at Silverstone. Midweek Motorsport where
0: John has just 48 seconds to tell you what's coming in the next hour.
1: In the second half of tonight's programme we will have more of Johnny Palmer as he looks forward to the return to Silverstone of the FIA WEC and the ELMS, all live on RS1. This Is it RS1 or RS3, Tim, this weekend? For that, should be RS1, shouldn't it?
2: We've got nothing else on there. Uh, we've got VLN, of course. Oh, right, okay, so, so it will we'll be on RS3. On RS3.
1: I will leave you to make What does it say on the website? I've no clue, and I, I'm still struggling with the internet. Uh, that's still to come. Uh, Tim we got Shea Adam as well talking about all of the action here at the weekend. And next, Tim has some of
0: your tweets. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com
2: uh, Lots of people uh, not having apologies for absence tonight. Uh, plenty of you listening live by the looks of it. Uh, right-hand lovers on the balcony. Uh, Rob Lomas is uh, listening live. Uh, Ringred's asking what's on the menu tonight. I had chicken. Uh, away from that sort of tweet, we've got uh, David Zitterbart says, can we have stadium super trucks in the Olympics instead of electric carts? Yeah, maybe. Uh, I'm not sure that's going to fulfil the requirements of uh, the Olympics. Uh, and Alan Prosser says, I think we find it was Chief Petty Officer Pertwee that said we were all doomed and got to touch of the dooms first. So uh, uh, not uh, who we said in our Dad's Army reference uh, earlier in the show. Uh, Johnny Palmer is still with us.
6: I certainly am. And a big Dad's Army fan, come to mention it.
2: Excellent. Uh, We have uh, two endurance races at one circuit this weekend. A full 10 hours of endurance racing uh, in the ELMS and FIAWEC at Silverstone. Uh, One on Saturday, one on Sunday. Let's talk about the ELMS first because uh, they unlike the WEC, have raced since Le Mans. And uh, they were at the Red Bull Ring, weren't they, a couple of weeks ago? A little bit longer than they, they were. Maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah. So they are still, they're, they're going to be quite familiar with how to race a car, whereas the WC drivers may have forgotten.
6: That's uh, certainly a good point, yes. Um, I mean, there is a little bit of overlap between the drivers, uh, in one championship and the other, in fact, several are uh, on double duty this weekend. But Olivier Pla has decided to forget about ELMS this weekend, so he was in a title, or, yeah, was in a title-contending car racing engineering the Orica 07. But there's going to be a driver change there with Mathieu Vasivier coming in to join Paul Petit and Norman Nato. Um, Red Bull Ring saw a, another victory. Andrea Pizzitola, Roman Rusinov and jean eric Verne. They were winners at Monza prior to Le Mans, so clearly they haven't forgotten about how to race uh, their Orica, number 26. Um, It was a second win of the year in LMP3 at Red Bull Ring for John Ferrano, Rob Garifold and Jot van Utter, the young Dutch driver. They had won already at uh, Le Castellet, And we got brand new winners for the season in the form of Proton Competition, their number 88 Porsche in Austria took victory with Matteo Cairoli, Gianluca Roda, and Giorgio Roda. So I think all obviously are in, even with a chance of taking victory this weekend, it's going to be an Orica, I'm almost positive, that takes victory in the four hours of uh, Silverstone. And in GTE, Porsche is so strong at the moment. Although we have had victories now for Ferrari um Ferrari, for both the for two Ferraris, you should say, the 66 JW example and mm-hmm. the 55 Spirit of Race car, the Duncan Cameron, Matt Griffin, and Aaron Scott. So that's for first Porsche win last time out. They have looked to be honest the dominant car though, and uh, very very fast, particularly in qualifying. Uh,
2: still, uh, what about the second Proton car? Is that uh, is that going to be that's going to be back uh, for Silverstone, isn't it? With, yes, uh, it will Christian be. Reed.
6: Um, yes. So, the 88, I don't think there's any changes in the driver lineup. The two Roders and Kairoli in the 88 that I've already mentioned. And then Christian Reed, who is still one of only a handful of drivers that have done every single World Endurance Championship race this weekend. We're going to lose one of those, um, and more of that in a second because of Aston Martin's tweak in their driving lineup. But Christian Reid's still flying the flag, and he's done so many ELMS races too. So, joined by Marvin Dienst, the German, and Dennis Olsen, who was a bit of a superstar, well, has been all season, really, the Norwegian driver. He's the gold in the combination with Christian, the bronze.
2: Uh, and I'm going to be quite parochial. Fans of uh, British uh, teams and British drivers, they've so got uh, two representatives in the GTE category with the GMW car that you had already mentioned. Uh and uh, Golf Racing's Porsche as well.
6: Yes, um, sort of mixed season Golf Racing have had so far, but it's Mike Wainwright's team. He's driving again, so he's the bronze, joined by Ben Barker and Alex Davison, and, uh, yeah, uh, we'll be wanting to go very well. They've not got great recent memories of Silverstone. You may remember it was the Golf Porsche that clashed with uh, Brendan Hartley's prototype Porsche, that three years ago? And um, they have had decent results through the course of the last couple of years, but we will obviously want to, you know, at least be on the podium this weekend at Silverstone. It's possible because there are only seven cars entered in GTE. Um, Still needs a little bit of injection of interest, that for me, but fantastic to have uh, the strength of teams, I'll say. They're all candidates for the win. It'd just be nice to have a little more depth, but there are... uh, three Ferraris and four Porsches. Uh, But, yes, the British interest will definitely be with cars 66 and 86.
2: Uh, LMP3, mostly Ligiers. We do have two Normas as well. Uh, We have had uh, some driver changes, I believe, in LMP3. Is that right? Uh,
6: Yeah, there's one or two tweaks. One car's gone entirely, and that's the DKR Engineering Norma, so uh, one of the M30s. Uh, is lost from the entry list and that's partly the reason why you said "God, it's nearly all Ligier's yes there are still three Normas, there's a brand new team Team Virage from Poland Car 34 with uh, Henning Henning Enquist, Jake Rattenbury and now another I driver I remember Jake Rattenbury
2: because he of course uh, started in the Genetic Junior Championship here in the UK um, in about 2009 Um and I believe more recently he's been racing in the uh, Lamborghini Super Trofeo in uh, North America.
6: Yes. So obviously experience of uh, GT cars with a, a lot of downforce, albeit in Super Trofeo spec. But this will be, well, kind of going back to um, other downforce cars that he's experienced. I'm not sure he will have ever raced anything quite as quick as this, though. Uh, it's a Legio JSP3 with its 5-litre Nissan engine and... Again, I don't know whether Henning Enkvist has ever raced with Jacob. So um, there's a, so a dynamic to build there. There's also potentially a third driver. And I'm trying to remember now whether... Because um, Daily Sports Car already there. I'm just trying, trying to wonder whether there was a third driver already named. I know that Gary Finlay is back in the ELMS. So he'll be somebody to look out for with. Again, prior experience, Scottish driver. But at the moment... Looks like the third driver is still to be announced in car 34.
2: Uh, where else should we be looking in the GT? Uh, sorry, LMP3 uh, class,
6: certainly at car 15. Again, flying the union flag, really, because John Ferrano, Yopano, Turton, Graham, uh, and Robert Garifal have already taken two victories, so they'll be looking to continue their winning streak at Silverstone. Um, we've also got the ultimate team who were always there or thereabouts the team from france running their norma and i just wonder whether with its longer straights and faster corners the norma really might suit silverstone so look out for Mathieu Mathieu and jean baptiste lay with their bronze co-driver francois aereo and whilst we're on the subject of normas i mean m racing ymr that's ivan muller racing for those that don't know uh, they have a Ligier and a norma so both worlds covered if you like but i think probably the the 19 car the norma is going to go slightly better and lucas leisure aged about the youngest driver in the field at 17 now but more or less has come straight from karting alongside romano Ricci and david drew they don't they won't know the circuit that well but i do think they've got the car underneath them to potentially get a top five there
2: uh Going to be a lot of support I'm getting for a QA cost as well with Colin Noble, Alex Capardia, and uh Christian Stubolson.
6: Yes, um, and Alex continues to work very hard in that team. He is uh, also very much part of the Michelin Le Mans Cup, which of course takes a break this weekend. Not room on this on the timetable, basically, for the Michelin Le Mans Cup, but that will return for the next round at Spa. Um, United Autosports, although. American flagged are definitely uh, an Anglo-American team. Richard based Dean in Yorkshire. Head, uh, based in Yorkshire, indeed. And John Fowler and Sean Rayhall are defending champions in LMP3. So they had a nightmare run at um, Spielberg in Austria. Retirement, it was, after our fluid came out of the car, and I'm pretty sure it was gearbox-related. Anyway, fluid pouring out, pouring out of a car down the pit lane is never good and Graham and I, Graham Goodwin and I said, that's probably not going to last very long because the fluid really should be in the car somewhere and sure enough about halfway around that very next lap, John Falb was a retirement, but Tony Wells Garrett Grist from Canada and Matt Bell uh, many listeners will be familiar with Matt Bell, brother of Rob of course and uh, has run in British GT lots along with lots of other stuff um, so United Autosports they're keen for a will probably be a first win for the year and got two cars to attempt that, numbers two and three in, in uh, LMP3.
2: And, uh, of course, the LMP2 cars, they're the ones with uh, generally numbers starting with a two or three.
6: And they're the fastest cars, of course, but yes. uh, they have really increased their numbers this year, 16 of them, and it's been around about that number since Paul Ricard, and you know, with the World Endurance Championship in transition, we've got far fewer meetings through the summer in the WEC. We've got lots of WEC drivers looking for opportunities, and the influx of golds and platinums. And I've already mentioned Mathieu Vazquez. We've got Philip Albuquerque, a regular with Philip Hansen in another United Autosports car. A shout for Philip Hansen though, because um, Phil has deliberately decided not to have a third driver so that uh, the race can be not even split 50-50. He does the lion's share. I'd say he probably does about 65-70% of the race and then hands over to Philippe Albuquerque for the last bit. So some heroic stints, certainly at Monza, and um, a a, a very good one that uh, it almost appeared that Phil was never going to get out of the car at Spielberg. And Philippe Albuquerque then finally took it over to a good finish. Will Stevens is a regular as well with... Panes Bartis competition. Uh, they he drives with Tim Bure and Julian Canal, and then you've got Tristan Gomendy, um, Philippe Philippe Nasser, ex Formula One, of course. Uh, Gustavo Menezes now a gold, and Nelson Ticci as well. It's a kind of a who's who of of Le Mans drivers outside of of LMP LMP1, but there's even a little bit of overlap with that category as well, as I say, because drivers are so desperate for for opportunities this year. Very tricky to pick in a winner. Um, uh, well, I was going to Gordon, put you on the
2: spot, so just pick one. Okay.
6: Well, uh, Racing Engineering took victory first time out, and then the 26 car has gone into its spell of dominance. It won on the road at the Mon, of course, but uh, we all know that that is now has gone to appeal about uh, pit stops that seem to take far uh, shorter time than everybody else. But G Drive Racing are going sweetly in ELMS. Um, I'm tempted not to go for the obvious, though. Duquesne Engineering were really in a position to win the race in Austria for many, many laps. And then there was a, a, a an issue with, well, it finished second on the road and then was disqualified because the wrong fuel, traces of the wrong fuel were found in the number 29's fuel tank. I think Gilles Duquesne will be wanting to, to rectify that as soon as possible. So I'm going to go with a number 29 car to take victory. Pierre Rag, Nicolas Jama and Nelson Uh
2: Now, some of uh, the listeners seem to be a little bit puzzled that when we did the Formula One news with Nick earlier, uh, we didn't mention a story that they think should have been mentioned in Formula One news. Uh, but I think it's a WEC story, because it involves uh, Toyota Gazoo racing driver Mr Fernando Alonso.
6: Oh, yes, I've heard of him.
2: Uh, who is going to be concentrating very much on the uh, FIA WC until the end of uh, this current super season.
6: It seems so, doesn't it? Because uh, McLaren have said that they are not going to retain him into 2019. Now, I don't know whether that means the F1 drive is off for good. I know Christian Horner said that uh, it wouldn't be a good idea to sign Alonso at Red Bull, but whether any other teams are interested... Who knows? But what it does mean, of course, is that for the three races scheduled for 2019, that being the 1,000 miles of Sebring in March, uh, the second dose of Spa in this super season, and then another Le Mans with one and a half points to finish the championship, it means at the moment, Mr Alonso shouldn't have any calendar clashes. Uh,
2: Indeed not. Uh, Rumours that he has been invited to take part in the Daytona 24
6: hours. Well, that will be for the second time course but um i'm pretty sure united autosports have said they won't be at daytona next year and that goes to for the reason that uh, IMSA deciding to split the classes because it's mm. going to be one class for daytona prototype internationals and another class for lmp2 and i think united autosports take on it is that they wouldn't necessarily be able to win the race outright just by winning the lmp2 class so they've Decided not to go back, so yeah, Fernando's going to have to get on the phone to somebody else if he wants to race in Florida again.
2: Uh, you mentioned uh, that uh, splitting of classes. Obviously, we have uh, the news today of a new entry uh, in uh, IMSA next season uh, in the uh, in the DPI class, and that's Yunkos uh, Racing.
6: Yes, now. I have to admit, I've only just sort of um, skimmed this story, so I'm not really in a position to comment on it, but uh, by all means, tell me what you know.
2: Well, Junkers, as I'm sure you know, uh, currently racing IndyCar, Lights, and uh, the Pro Mazda Championship is ended by, Gita- uh, sorry, by Cooper Tyres. Uh, but next season, they are taking a Dallara, obviously a manufacturer that they have a, good relationship with in those uh, single seater championships uh where they've won 58 races and nine championships in the last 10 years uh putting a cadillac engine in it and uh going forward to do the imza weathertech sports car championship
6: well that's exciting and um it means that there's interest out there does it not for extending expanding the entry list into 2019 um I presume the the difference in class that, or the decision to separate classes, is so that um, you don't have so much overlap between, I don't know, the Americans and the European entry. It tend, it's tended to go that way. Although I appreciate that there are American teams who've wanted to invest in a future in an LMP2 chassis, but um, what they now need, of course, there is a danger of splitting classes in that. They both become very, very weak as a result. So, I hope it's the right decision. And as you say, the entry list is starting to take shape. We haven't had any drivers yet, have we? Announced
2: no, young- not yet. No,
6: but um, yeah, going with another Cadillac. So, we've got two different chassis effectively represented at the moment on a very early entry list for the DPI side of things. But I just hope that that doesn't weaken. What was a growth area for the last couple of years and that is LMP2 and I'm a sort of die of diehard fan of LMP2 covering so much ELMS and WEC that I do.
2: I wonder whether uh, their current IndyCar uh, and former Indy Lights driver, Alfonso Calis Jr. may be uh, on, the, on the list uh, of, or on the short list uh, to get a seat in that car we shall find out more in due course and I'm sure that if you listen to him as a radio this weekend that's RS2 uh, John Hyntoff and Jeremy Shaw will be talking about this news in much greater detail Uh, let's go back to why you're here though Johnny Palmer and that is the six hours of Silverstone uh, on Sunday Uh, so we've mentioned Fernando Alonso he is back alongside Sebastian Buemi and Kazuki Nakajima in the number 8 Toyota 7 Toyota has uh, Mike Conway, Kamu Kobayashi and Jose Maria Lopez in it. Uh, Who's going to challenge them?
6: Rebellion, certainly. I can't really see anybody else getting close. The nice thing about this race is that we enter a slightly different phase of the season now because the equivalence of technology has been altered. And that's what so many people complained about post Le Mans was... The design difference between the pace of the Toyota and then the privateer LMP ones, there was a, there was an idea on paper that they were going to be was it half a second a lap quicker, and it turned out to be closer to two or three seconds a lap quicker. So they've tried now to trim that gap down. It's going to give them, from what I read, somewhere between 1.2 and two seconds, relatively speaking, when you compare Le Mans to Silverstone. So you know, yeah. Uh, um, Yes, when, when it's done through a ratio system, pro rata, it should give them between 1.2 and 2 seconds a lap as, uh, to be faster. So we promised a, a race for slightly longer. I still don't think it's going to be enough to get in front of Toyota, but Rebellions, having, having had so much experience in LMP1 in the past, they had a season in LMP2 last year as well, and they've got some tremendous drivers, Andre Lotter with all his years with Audi, and then subsequently Porsche, Bruno Senna, having raced with Rebellion last year in LMP2, and Neil Janney, And then the other car is Matthias Besch, Thomas Laurent, who's a real superstar, and now gold, having been silver. And Gustavo Menezes, likewise, stepping up to the gold platform. So they're going to be the closest to Toyota, but not close enough to win. Um, a lot of other British
2: interest in sorry, uh, in this class. You mentioned Dragon Speed; They've got Ben Hanley as one of their drivers. Ollie Webb's in the bicolors car. And uh, of course, SMP Racing have a Jensen Button.
6: Yes, they do, and uh, somebody who will be very familiar to many people that go to Silverstone and watch Formula One of yesteryear, but also Super GT this year too. And Jensen's had a pretty busy year, although stepping away from F One. Um, SMP's BRs, the BR ones. Are slightly different from the Dragon Speed version in that they have an AER power plant. The Dragon Speed's got the Gibson, that's the same engine that powers the Rebellion. For me, Dragon Speed are going to struggle purely because uh, Henrik Hedman is a bronze, and I fully understand what Dragon Speed are trying to do. They're trying to get Henrik more experienced in a prototype, and particularly an LMP one, He he wants to compete regularly at the Mon and ideally win that race. The standard rule normally is that no bronze driver is permitted into LMP1, but they've managed to get special dispensation from the ATO in order to do this. Unfortunately, it's still too much of a weak link. I'm not saying Henrik's not going to get there with time, but they are not going to be on the top step of the podium because they've got a bronze in their ranks. Ben Hanley, very, very quick. Renga van der Zander, superb too. You look at what SMP Racing can offer, three platinum drivers, Button, we've already said about Vitaly Petrov, and Michaela Loshin, just the two drivers in the other SMP car, number 17, Stefan Sarazan and Yegor Arudchev. I don't know what's happened to the other Russian driver who is uh, often. Uh, is is Akian maybe may still troubled by the problem at Spa? I don't yeah, know. But is there. Uh, yeah. Let's he move on to p-
2: LMP2. Uh, okay. we, we only have the seven of these.
6: Yeah, and. We'd like a few more from LMS, really, because there were 16 there, and not quite sure why we don't have more of an overlap. It would be a very busy weekend, I suppose, if you start using the same chassis in both races. There are drivers, though, doing both races, Macho Vazavier, for example. Um, we've got uh, TDS Racing then. That's his car with François Perodo and Loic Duval, who was in DTM action at Brands Hatch weekend, just gone. Um, Racing Team Nederland, back again, although no Jan Lammers anymore. Nick de Vries has taken over there and will be there for the rest of the season, joining Fritz van Aerd and Guido van der Gaarde. Dragon Speed also present in LMP2. Two Jackie Chan DC Racing Oreca's, the Malaysian team of Naval Jeffrey, Wayron Tan and Jasmine Jafar. Jafar will have experience of the Silverstone Grand Prix circuit from his British F3 days. LABRA competition, there's been a driver change there as well. A first World Endurance Championship race for Yoshiharu Mori, the Japanese bronze driver joining Erwin Creed and Romano Ricci. The downside there is that they're all bronzes, so may well struggle. Signatech Alpine mapbook well, probably a favourite along with TDS Racing, but I reckon Signatech will take victory. Nick Lapierre, uh, Andre degrau and Pierre Thierry. That's a very strong lineup.
2: Uh, LM GTE Pro. Uh, we've probably got is it identical numbers in Pro and Dam? We've got ten and. 10 and 9, so oh. not quite. Uh, let's have a look at the, um, the GTE Pro cars first. Uh, some big names driving in this.
6: There certainly are. And um, one name I've missed out of LMP2, actually just going back a step briefly, Anthony Davidson, who was the reserve driver for Toyota at Le Mans, finally gets his first ever LMP2 drive. He's going to be with Dragon Speed in that number 31 car. But yes, GTE Pro... They've all trimmed their driver combination back to just two from three at Le Mans, obviously. And that means that to Darren Turner, this will be his first ever World Endurance Championship race that he won't be part of, if you know what I mean, because he's done every single one since the start of the championship in 2012. So sadly, that run for Darren comes to an end. Uh, Johnny Adam is shifted from the works Aston Martin over to TF Sport in GTE-AM. But we've got two AF Corsa Ferraris. They're traditional numbers 51 and 71. Um, I mean, both lineups are as good as each other. They've both been champions. Alessandro pierre and James Collado in the one. David Regon and Sam Bird in the other. Ford are at Silverstone with the UK arm of Chip Ganassi's team. Mm-hmm. Stefan Mucker and Olivier Pla. And that's the reason why Pla's not doing ELMS this weekend. He's going to be driving his Ford instead. Andrew Prio and Harry Tinknell. Uh, BMWs, new for 2018, uh, run by the DTM team, former DTM team, MTech. Two Porsches. They're no longer painted in their heritage colour scheme. Back to the traditional Porsche liveries this weekend for Ricard Lee, Jimmy Bruni, Michael Christensen and Kevin Estra. And the Aston Martins with a bit more balance of performance boost. It's uh, only a sneaky increase from Le Mans, but hopefully it'll bring them up to the same sort of speed as everybody else. As I say, Aston have trimmed back their driver line up to just two pilots for each car.
2: And very quickly, let's uh, have a look at GTE-AM. Um, as you, as I said earlier, there's nine cars here. You've got a couple of Dempsey Proton uh, Porsches. Uh, you've got uh, Project One Porsche, a Golf Racing Porsche, uh, two Ferraris and two Aston Martins. Or Three Ferraris, Bracken. in fact, I've just... Uh, missed one.
6: Yes, there are. Yes, Spirit of Race, Clearwater Racing, that's that terrific uh, metallic silvery colour scheme with the dragon on the side representing Singapore and MR Racing, new team from Japan for 2018 with their 488. We've had wins already for Aston Martin, uh, Paul Dallalana, Matthias Lauder and Pedro Lamy taking victory at Spa and the win at Le Mans coming from car 77, Matt Campbell, Christian Reed and Julian and Laura. they were the best placed World Endurance Championship car. Porsche is still very strong. The Aston Martin's quite an old car now, of course, and uh, much to Paul de la Lana's frustration, not being allowed access to the brand new Aston, even though this season will span into 2019, when theoretically a year old car would be eligible. So TF Sport and Aston Martin Racing might be up against it at their home race. Um, it'd be brave for anyone to bet against a Porsche, really, and either of the two Dempsey Proton racing cars could go well. Golf racing also present again, as they are in ELMS. And Team Project One, exciting car that in its uh, yellow and black livery. Egidio Perfetti moving up from GT3 this season. Patrick Lindsay, the American, and York Bergmeister still driving racing cars very fast indeed.
2: Uh, okay, predictions for the FIA WEC race at Silverstone, Johnny.
6: Um, it's going to be a Toyota in LMP1. I Instead of going for the number eight car, then that's done all the winnings so far, I'm going to say the number seven of Mike Conway, Kimui Kobayashi and Jose Maria Lopez, despite Lopez's huge accident last year.
2: I don't think there's any team orders going on at Toyota?
6: I hope there isn't. Um, there are many sceptical people about what happened at Le Mans, suggesting that the hiccup for the number seven's pit stop, um, allowing it to go 12 laps rather than 11. Some people suggest that wasn't entirely an accident. Um, and obviously, you know, the biggest story would be if Alonso could win at Silverstone. So I'm hoping there isn't, but we'll just have to wait and see.
2: OK, Johnny, uh, stay with us if you want to. But, uh, John, I believe you have another guest lined up now. Yes, Tim, I have, because through the magic of, of
1: connectivity i have now got shay adam who isn't here at VIR yet will be joining me here tomorrow for what shay and i should say good afternoon to you hello shay hello john for what is going to be a very very busy weekend for you me and jeremy
7: Yeah, I think you'd need a shoehorn and some butter and maybe some soap to go on top of that to wedge anything else into the calendar this weekend. Absolutely. Five series running.
1: Absolutely, chocker. You're you're right. Uh, An extraordinarily busy uh, weekend. All live, of course, across the RSL network on RS2 IMSA Radio. Where shall we start? Um, Let's tell you what, let's start in the, the big show. Now, it's, it's billed, of course, as a GT weekend, a GT festival. Um, but we do have prototypes. Actually, let's start with that then. That's the outlier. Let's start exactly. in the in the prototype field. Anything that we should be looking out for there?
7: Um, there is one big story, as far as I can tell, for our IMSA Prototype Challenge race presented by Mazda. Fifteen LMP3 cars. So that's going to be a lot of fun. But the championship leader coming into the weekend, and it's been a while, so it might take digging back a bit to remember. It's Chris Wright. He is joined in the number 30 machine, the Extreme Speed Motorsports Ligier by Steven Simpson. So Stephen, continuing his pattern of driving two very different race cars on any given weekend, they are going to be a car to watch this weekend. We've got a couple of Normas in the field as normal. And in our MPC class, it's all the usual suspects. So it is going to be wonderfully chaotic. That race taking place Saturday night, and yes, it is at night because it's well after the, the checkered flag has come, for the continental tire sports car challenge so just because you think the racing's over maybe check the schedule again
1: and we're supposed to have any energy left at that point now oh, okay good luck yeah no <laughs> mm. uh, well let's talk about uh canadian uh, canadian tire. I've, that's the second time recently i've done that continental tire sports car <laughs> challenge a uh, big story there that's the the headline race on saturday as you say uh, late afternoon um, before that prototype race. And n- neither of the Winwoods, HTP cars, they had a pretty hot weekend at Road right. America.
7: They really did. And this is a team that we knew it was no secret coming into that weekend. They were fairly pressed for spares. The 57, which had been running in a beautiful red and black silvery livery, earlier on in the season had reverted to a third car that they had after the big crash for Bryce Ward at Watkins Glen back in the beginning of uh, July, of last weekend of June. And they were already fairly pressed for spare parts. Well, then they had a, a big crash for Russell Ward in the number 33 windward entry. So we already knew they were going to be tight there. Then they threw an alternator belt in the race. So both cars questionable and Winward. With other commitments this weekend, remember it's going to be a very busy weekend of racing all across the world. Yeah, but I think it's not the, the HTP.
1: The I think it's the HTP part of them who are elsewhere. Yes. They've got uh, they've got a, a rounded Sanvo and, and I think some of their staff are are going there as well. I also think, to be honest, uh, AMG Mercedes uh, rather victims of their own success. Um, Quite a lot of carnage and damage the last few weeks uh, around the world in the GT4 ranks and uh, getting spare parts to everybody, I think proving a little bit of a a a challenge. However, it's not all gloom and doom in Grand Sport, in GS, for the GT4s because VIR sees the return of a driver pairing favourite and a manufacturer and car favourite this weekend.
7: Do, 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 do. The Chevy Camaro GT4R is back, and it will be piloted by Robin Liddell and Andrew Davis, our 2015 GS champs, reuniting under the banner of Rebel Rock Racing. It is going to be fun to watch those guys. Now, they've both been doing some racing elsewhere. Rhino Robin has been itching to get back behind the wheel of a yeah. car for a while. He's been, been doing a lot more coaching stateside, so for him... Coming back into the series, this is not a team that's going to be looking for a win, but if they do at VIR, my international surprise face will not be on. Uh, is this a one-off for the moment for Rebel Rock
1: Racing? Is this a way of just getting the Camaro GT4 back into the public consciousness? What, what what are we expecting post this race, assuming everything goes well? Of course, it might be a different story.
7: From what I understand, the car should be at... My- Weather Tech Raceway Laguna Seca Nailie. should be. Yeah, I know. I, I pulled it back though. I fished that one back in. It should be at Road Atlanta, and they are looking to do a full season program for next year. So, this is an introduction to the team, to the big class. Uh, Rebel Rock Racing has run with Porsches in the past in GS and ST. This is a new adventure for them though, and this is just going out there and say, hey, look what we can do. And also on the, the back foot of GM saying, look what our car is yes. capable of.
1: Very good. Very good. Um, Five entries in ST, as usual, the three minis, plus the Porsche and the BMW. Uh, Another good news story, though, because a second VW Golf is going to be here this weekend in TCR.
7: And it's going to be really cool because for the Rumcastle LLC team, this is a home race. Tanner and Luke Rumberg, who grew up in South Boston, racing uh, dirt track cars on the oval there, which, by the way, we have to go do that again, John. That's so fun to watch. Yep. They're bringing another car. Rob Ferrell, who races in our GT3 series, is going to be sharing with DJ Fitzpatrick, another Virginia native. They are going to be fun cars this weekend. And while the Volkswagen hasn't yet hit its full stride in TCR, it's been an Audi fest, winning every single race, they're due. And this very well could be their weekend.
1: You mentioned GT3 there, the IMSA Porsche GT3 Cup. Uh, USA by Yokohama. This is really at the moment, whether north or south of the border, whichever (laughs) of the two IMSA series that you talk about, there's only one man's name to be talking about at the moment, and that's Zachary Robichon.
7: It's funny. I keep feeling like I'm getting the same emails over and over again. Robichon (laughs) wins. Robichon wins, and I'm like, okay, Robichon sweeps weekend. Robichon sweeps another weekend. He just did it at Road America, his first weekend running in the U.S. series. That was two weeks ago. Well, this past week, he's been in Montreal. He won both races in Montreal. He's been beating up on the same poor drivers, which, you know, you think of a guy like Roman DeAngelis. He's more than capable of handling himself. But Robichon has that magic potion, and he managed to hold off uh, DeAngelis on one of the race charts magnificently. I managed to see a tiny little snippet of the race, and that's what it was. But Robichon has a grasp on what it takes to win races in this championship. He's doing it, and he is going to be the person that everybody else is looking to knock off. So if there's a target on anyone's back, it will be Zach Robichon. And he will need pole position more than ever because people understand now, if he gets out in front, he is not moving backwards.
1: Yeah, I was very impressed with both of his race victories at Uh, At Elkhart Lake, at Road America, similar sort of circuit in terms of the up and the down, not quite maybe as quick as uh, Road America, but the Porsches will look great and sound great there, as will the Lamborghini Super Trofeos. Uh, An interesting interesting twist from the Road America rounds in, in terms of the championship.
7: Yeah, so when I was looking back at the points getting ready for this weekend, because I'm no Jeremy Shaw, I can't do all that adding on the fly like he does, need fingers, toes, and maybe some other digits as well. I was noticing that JC Perez and Laura Spinelli did not receive any points because they didn't finish race one, which means that Randy Solari and Stephen McAleer, who are also running in the Pro-Am class this year, and have announced that they are going to be running for the remainder of the season, which includes this weekend, then I believe WeatherTech Raceway, Laguna Seca, and then off in Italy for the World Finals. It is possible that that duo, which missed around this season, they did not go to Watkins Glen, it's possible that they win the championship, because with enough DNFs, Spinelli and Perez, who can win three more races, might not win the championship. It makes it very interesting that you think you have to keep the car in one piece. It takes away the ability for them to go out and risk it all, to try and mix it up with the pro class. They're going to have to be smart from this point on, John.
1: In the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, that's the lead category again this weekend. And once again, it's just the two, GT classes there let's start with gt De um who's driving this is this is not like <laughs> where's waldor who's driving with cooper this weekend <laughs> which which internationally famous driver is driving with cooper mcneil this weekend
7: uh i'm gonna say what's on the entry list and i will amend my statement when i get to the track tomorrow morning to actually see the name on the car on the entry <laughs> list it says Gunnar Jeanette. I'm not believing anything until I see it. Although by this point, I think there will be like what seven names on the on the poor little Ferrari. It's running out of room. The,
1: um, the rock paper scissors championship uh, went into extra innings. <laughs> exactly. I think I'd say that um, no number the, sixteen car for Wright Motorsport this weekend.
7: No, no Porsche. So we've got uh, eighteen entries total for the weekend for the WeatherTech Championship race. But uh, eight of those are the pro category. They're GTLM. That means we have 10 gtd cars and just a note on the ferrari before we move away they've had a slight tweak to their balance of performance they've got two liters fewer fuel and a slightly different boost ratio to their gearing system so that should slow them down a little bit but on the flip side that should make a stronger argument for why they should have better bop for when they go to the penultimate round of the championship which kind of matters to that car because there's a name on it that matches the racetrack but we'll get into that later but in any case yes a slight bop adjustment the other who's driving with Catherine Legg this weekend, it's ah, not yes. Alvaro Brent. it's Mario Farmbacher. So that's another change to the entry list that we'll keep an eye on. And again, and-
1: that, that comes down to Alvaro not expecting to, for that car to have exactly. been at this round. So he already had other commitments. That's that's not yeah. tactical or anything like that.
7: No, 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 no. And to be honest, John, the last time that Alvaro was at VIR was in the Bentley earlier this year. He was quite rudely nerfed off the track, coming out of turn one into turn two, had a very big shunt. So I think seeing that he's skipping the IR might not be the the hardest press thing on the entry list for him. But um, in terms of the entry list, and we are sticking with the entry list because until we get to the track and see otherwise, For the 96, Turner Motorsports BMW, Robbie Foley and Bill Oberlin making his triumphant return, where I will tease him endlessly about his uh, battles with gravity.
1: Yeah, we'll be talking about ladder series an awful lot uh, in that, won't we? Um, (laughs) At the front of the field, the eight factory cars from GT Le Mans, GT uh, LM. Extraordinary start that you've come up with here. It's a full year since... Antonio Garcia and Jan Magnussen won, and it was here.
7: They've won at VIR the last two years on the trot. This track really suits the car that Dan Banks sets up. It suits the driving style. Magnussen has a poll here from a couple of years ago. Garcia loves the track. But a full year since that legendary duo has claimed victory is staggering. They're going to have to take out their teammates, Tommy Milner and Ollie Gavin. They've won at VIR. They did it, I think it was either 2012 or 2013. Uh, they're also going to battle against both of the Porsches, looking for a little bit of redemption after a less than impressive road America, where we all felt that they should have been quite a bit stronger. Bamber and Vantor in the 912 is normal, and Pelé and Tandy, winners of the race in 2015. It's looked more promising for BMW until they ran out of gas at the end of the race and there was oh, some yes. strange engine issue for the 24. Still haven't gotten a full, flat-out answer as to what that was for Jesse Krohn and John Edwards. They're going to be looking for revenge as well. And remember, John, this is the track where a few years ago the roof blew off of the car. So, oh, yes. So, you know, it's, it's not been the nicest BMW track. But the big story is Ford. Can anyone dethrone the Fords? Because since we've come back from the mall. No other manufacturer has claimed the top step of the podium. Judging by the way that they've been swapping back and forth this weekend, it's the '66s turn. And Joey Hand and Dirk Mueller have never claimed victory at VIR together.
1: I've got a feeling that the Ford guys want this a lot, but you could say that yeah. of anybody in that category. Hugely busy weekend, barely time for us to breathe. It's pretty much non-stop action from once we get underway uh, on uh, on Friday. I don't think we've got anything on Thursday, do we? That we have to do. No. Um, so it's, it'll be f- it'll be Friday. Uh, so travel well tomorrow. I'll see you at the track tomorrow for a bit of a. We'll have a bit of a mooch around, and then um, non-stop talking from Friday till Sunday, basically.
7: Sounds good. I'll start loading up on the coffee now.
2: Thanks, Cher. See you soon. Bye. Now, what we haven't talked about yet, John, is IndyCar. That's correct. Uh, Ganassi. Yes. And Scott Dixon have agreed a multi-year contract extension. This is interesting on a number
1: of levels because it's not that long ago that we uh, and quite a few people heard the rumours that Scott Dixon was being headhunted by McLaren as one of their full-time IndyCar drivers. Well, McLaren don't have an IndyCar team, I hear you say. Yet, Yet, exactly. Um, So... Whether that whole concept by McLaren has broken down, and apparently it was Eric Boullier who was driving that forward more than anyone else at walking, um, then, or whether they couldn't come to terms or, or whatever, I don't know. But um, Scott Dixon's future in the medium term, never mind the short term, seems to be with Chip Ganassi Racing on the announcement earlier this week. And, and let's be honest, he is one of the most consistent drivers out there. Um, we should have spoken this year about it, actually. Um, when we, we had should her have own. done. Yes, but she we, always picks Scott Dixon to win everything.
2: Yes, often wrongly. Uh, we do get to hear from Scott Dixon though, and first from Chip Ganassi.
5: I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Scott and I have been together a long time, and uh, and 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 he knows how to win and 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 more importantly uh he knows how to win championships you know there's guys that can win races uh but there's other guys that 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 can win championships and uh, scott's proven that he's proven uh that he's not just a normal run-of-the-mill driver in any sense uh even in the the uh you know where he is in the overall win column speaks for itself i think um i think uh you know, I I I can't help but think that you know, the, uh, however many years Scott and I have been together, that uh, and I've said this before. He's, you know, he's the kind of driver that, that 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 any team would want to have on their on their on their as their lead driver. I think uh, on and off the track, he shows uh, he shows that he is uh, the man, as we like to say, or or he's the uh, the the. He's the, the, the driver that if you were to take a, uh, you know, take a stone and some, inject some uh, brains into it, you would uh, you'd chisel out Scott Dixon. He's the um, – I think we have a mutual respect for each other, and uh, we've always been on the same page. And uh, while we uh, – I think he has the same desire to win today at, uh, as he did uh, when he came with our team, and I think that's impressive. He's a team player, he's always pushing the limits, and, uh, he likes to get the most out of any situation. So, I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased to, to be sitting here today, announcing him, uh, for the future, and, um, I'm a happy man. People always say that, you know, they say he's the longest tenured driver. I don't know if that says more about him, or more about the other drivers. That's a joke, of course. He is the longest <laughs> tenured driver, and, and, when you, when you, uh, you know, when you sign a guy like that, no, you, to say that you had any, any idea that he would perform the way he did, uh, you certainly want that, but, I mean, to say that anybody saw that, I think would be, uh, or maybe, maybe his agent saw it, or his wife, but I sure didn't see it, and, um, but it's, it, he's developed, that's probably the nicest thing about Scott, is, is, you know, we've been together, and we, 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 we've all, we've all grown in that period of time, and I don't think anybody could have grown into a better person than Scott Dixon. Um, he, you know, whether he's a, a racing driver, uh, a family man, uh, a wife, a father, you know, brother, uh, son, whatever you want to call him, friend, um, racing driver, you know, you can put a lot of monikers on a guy when you've known him for so long, and and what kind of the what the, the you know there's a, a million monikers that make up the man, and um, so um, but no, nobody had any idea he could do what he's done in terms of the win column.
8: You know, I've been here uh this team now. You know, next year will be starting my eighteenth year. Um, you know, uh, as just sort of alluded to there, I've, I've grown. A lot as a person and, and as a as a driver throughout the years, and, and obviously a huge you know thanks and, and admiration for you know Chip himself, his team, for the people that you know uh, he enables us to you know go out there and win. And and for me, you know there's there's a lot of other people that you know like racing because of what it is, but I love it you know for its passion. Um, you know, what we're able to achieve and, and, you know, not very many of us get, uh, the opportunity to, you know, do what, you know, we love in our life. And, and, you know, for me, much as, uh, you know, hashtag, um, you know, we all like winning and, and that's, you know, what the business is about. You know, uh, I wouldn't be here if, you know, we weren't winning. Um, you know, the team wouldn't be here either. But, uh, you know, um, for me, it's, you know, it's, it's family. Um, you know, being here this long, there's, there's a reason why that is and that's because it works well. Um, you know, I've always admired you know, admired Chip for, for what he's done uh, throughout his career and, and you know, in all grand scales a, a fairly young career and what he's achieved, you know, across many different platforms um is almost unheard of. So, uh I don't know. Love being here, love the people, uh and uh, you know, love working for, for Chip. His passion and, and uh the way he wants to win, uh, you know, drives all of us.
2: But Scott Dixon is not the only IndyCar announcement made this week. Really, indeed. What else? else? Because uh, they have done a new deal
1: with Detroit. Ah, yes. No, now this this is very interesting as well, and sort of trailed by Scott Atherton uh, in the schedule announcement and state of the series. um, What a couple of weekends ago. Now um, at road America, because there was a risk if you remember, beside the Grand, the Belle the Isle Grand Prix. That was because I saw a very nice 55 Chevy Belle Air when I was uh, driving home on Sunday. Um, the Belle Isle Grand Prix had a risk next to it, subject to approval by the Detroit Department of Natural Resources, I think it was, who they look after Belle Isle because it's a, a public park. It is. And there had been...
2: You've uh, been there not during a no, weekend. I no, have. No. Um,
1: it's... It's better than it used to be. And if you speak to anybody from the area, they will tell you that it used to be a pretty horrid place to go anytime time that this, the racing wasn't there. Roger Penske deserves a lot of credit for this. Um because he's put a lot of money into refurbing this place. Um,
2: $13.5 million, in fact.
1: Yeah, it's the Michigan Department of Natural Resources um, who have sort of come to an agreement. uh, It was last week, wasn't it? It was Friday last week with the Verizon IndyCar series. Um, It should be three more years with an option to go all the way through to 2023. It's already hosted 25 IndyCar races going back as far as 1992. We can definitely say that next year's race is happening. Uh, May the 31st through to June the 2nd, same weekend as ever, it will include IMSA uh, as well. Um,
2: there was a lot We can of... definitely say that 2020 is happening as well. Really? Yes, because one of the... Uh things that has been let out by the uh, Michigan Department of Natural Resources. Uh, One of the things they were concerned about was how many days Days. the island was out or Belle Isle was out of action because of the Grand Prix. It's 85 days they take to set up and dismantle that track. Right. And for 2019, they've agreed to reduce that to 60 days. That's hauling. And in 2020, they've agreed to reduce it to 59 days.
1: At uh, 2020 and 2021, in fact. Uh, there were uh, five days. So the 65 at the moment. There were 85 days in 2015. So at the moment, they're spending uh, 65 days doing it. That's, that's interesting. Um, it's a lot of time taken out, but they are very good at doing it. Um, and, you know, it speaks as I said, Tim, speak to local people. They think, generally speaking, it's a good thing. It has cleaned that area up. Uh, it, it It's become more of a resource for Detroit and people who live in Detroit. It was pretty much a no-go area um, not so very long ago. And it wasn't very pleasant at all. Some quite unsavoury characters there. A place that you wouldn't want to be uh, of an evening time. It is much more in use, wider use, uh, by the people of the city. And so it's good for everybody. It's good for everybody. Um, 50 million annually um, positive uh, inward spend into the local economy.
2: The thing that I dislike Mm -hmm. is that all of the other things that happen on Belle Isle shut down for the period that they're building, from the start of the build of the Grand Prix to the end of the dismantling of the Grand Prix. And I think that, actually, they should try and keep some of those open. There's a lovely little museum there. There's yes. cafes. Yes. And
1: Does the Yacht Club shut down as well, even? I, I thought that was even still open the week of the Grand Prix.
2: Possibly. Not sure.
1: I, I mean, I, I understand... That whilst the event is on, you have the logistical issue of who's ticketed. In fact, very few people can get onto the island. They do a park and ride for all the spectators, um, and even some of the people that are working there have to do park park and ride. Um, but it doesn't use the whole island, as you rightly say. It Doesn't even use all of the roads. On no. the island, but there, there would be some places you wouldn't be able to get to whilst it was getting set up, and or taken down, and there's health and safety implications to people craning around, you know, five-ton concrete blocks, aren't there? So you know, you've got to, you've got to see that side of it, Tim. Surely.
2: Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, but, right. but on the on the rest of the island, which I mean, the Grand Prix uses probably a third of the island. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. How much do you think the Detroit
1: Grand Prix um, pay to host it?
2: I don't need to guess because I've got the figures written in front of me.
1: Right. isn't how much is it now?
2: It is uh, going up to three hundred and twenty-five thousand uh, dollars.
1: Annual contribution is going up from two hundred thousand to four hundred. And fifty thousand for each year. Ah, uh, but
2: that's not really four hundred fifty thousand. It's three hundred twenty-five thousand plus an extra one hundred twenty-five thousand, uh, which will be used for park improvement projects by the MDNR.
1: Yeah, that's ring fenced. That has to be used on Bell Isle. They thought that's one hundred twenty-five of the four hundred and fifty um, that uh, has to be used from there. Uh, uh, that 4 that million, will
2: mostly be used for the aquarium.
1: Four million. By the way, $4 million uh, raised over the last five years for the Grand Prix or Grand Premiere fundraiser. Uh, and that will continue on Friday night at the race weekend. And that must be about all we've got to say on that.
2: Uh, yes. Uh, so, Detroit, lovely place. Uh, definitely go there. Uh, but we do have more IndyCar driver news, of course. Right, do we? Yes. Fire away. Zachary Demelo, right? Uh, will return to IndyCar. Excellent. Uh, he's at uh, Pocono this weekend. Yeah. And next weekend he'll be at Gateway. Right. Uh, for Mike Harding's Harding Racing Team. Uh-huh. Uh, he started the uh, season with Del Coin. Yep. Some other little stories about uh, people driving in uh, places where... You might not have heard they were driving. Uh, First of all, Dale Earnhardt Jr. is going to drive the pace car at the Brickyard 400, or as uh, it's now called the Big Machine Vodka 400, uh, and the pace car in question is a Camaro ZL1. Uh, Connor Daly is going to drive in a NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Road America. And Elliot Sadler's going to stop driving completely. He's retiring from NASCAR at the end of this season. And that's what we've got time for.
1: Yep, certainly is. And we're getting ready for a very big weekend. Jeremy, Sean, Sheer Adam will join me for our RS2 IMSA content from here at the weekend. And it'll be Johnny Palmer on WEC duty uh, heading up our coverage of that from Silverstone. However, it will be Richard Creel who will be looking after the ELMS. I mean, I'm very, I'm very looking forward, very much looking forward to hearing Creelsey. Um, if he can manage to keep his blood pressure down, already beat the Brands Hatch uh, now, and Donington and now going to Silverstone and working for us, I have no doubt. What do be you
2: do at Donington?
1: Museum, love, museum.
2: Oh, I thought I thought you were implying you'd gone to see some motor racing.
1: Well, uh, motor racing history. Uh, all of the schedules for RS1, 2, IMSA Radio, and RS3 on the front page at the bottom, right at the foot of the homepage of com. That will tell you where and when, and it will convert to auto-convert the times to your browser time. Thanks to all our guests tonight, Johnny, Nick, Sheer. Uh, And uh, thanks to Jim Cameron for uh, speaking to us earlier in the week. Have a great motorsport weekend. There's no time to explain. We need more llamas.
0: This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.